I'd come home from a vacation and stopped at the switchboard, and the switchboard operator said, there's a small man who came by and asked if he, if he could play the organ. Welcome to Nova et Vetera, a special series of monk cast coming to you from the Abbey Archives. In which younger monks interview their elders about what it was like back in the day. We hope, we hope you, you enjoy, enjoy it. Nova et Vetera. Well, I'm Father Blaine Schultz. Um, I was born in 1933, September the 17th, and um, I was an orphan, and I was adopted uh, at the age of four by a wonderful woman who became my adopted mother, and uh, she had adopted earlier a youngster whom she named Jim, and she thought that Jim needed a playmate. So that's when they went to the, to the um, orphanage in Kansas City, Missouri, and I was told that they lined us up. There were about 12 of us in the age group that my mother was looking for, between four and seven, and uh, that my brother looked over this group and said, I'll take that one and that one. And he pointed to two, and she is supposed to have said, I can only afford one. So he ended up choosing me. <laughs> and then uh, my mother was married three times. She lost her first husband, um, by, with, with whom she had adopted the two boys, Jim and my, my name was Kenneth at the time. And then she married Mr. Schultz, uh, who was a cement finisher. And um, <clears throat> he adopted me, and I changed. Well, he adopted both of us, but my brother kept his last name, his original name, and I changed mine to Schultz. And then by Mr. Schultz, my mother, my adopted mother had two daughters, Marcia and Mary Kay. So growing up, there were four of us. <clears throat> and then thanks to my pastor at St. Benedict's Parish in Kansas City, Kansas, um, I got a scholarship to Mar Hill and loved it. Spent four years there. And then it was only natural for me to, to come to the college because my piano teacher was from the Abbey, Father, Father Bernard Helgott. And then after two years of um, college, it was, it was the practice in that, in that day that if you wanted to enter the monastery, you came in after your sophomore year. And there were four of us, Bishop Herbert, uh, Father Albert, and Father Emmerich, and myself. And I'm the lone survivor. <laughs> okay? Well, what else? Right. I'm um, <clears throat> 85, I'll be 86 in September, and uh, I joined the monastery at 
1953, 53, and uh, that was my novitiate year. So from profession, 1954 to the present date, that would be. And then I, we, we had our own theologate here at that time, really a fine faculty, and I was ordained in 1960. So I've been a priest for 45th, what? Be 58, 58 oh. years, I think. Yeah. yeah. You composed the Sunday Vespers for Abbot Brendan? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that led. Um, let, let me mention this that the two monks who made the greatest contribution, in addition to my own, musically speaking, but the two, the two monks who put our office together, which is considered to be one of the best in the, uh, you know, um, would be Father Emmerich, Emmerich Fletcher, and then Father Aaron, Aaron, the two of them working hand in hand in selecting texts. And uh, um, so Emmerich was a, a theologian. He studied in Europe. <clears throat> He was a very fine musician. He and I used to do a lot of two piano, two piano duet playing. Mm. Would play public concerts at the college. Yeah. So, but anyway, um, Emery is the one who designed the choir books. That's his design on the cover. Yeah. And then, see, it, it went from from two volumes. How do I want to put it? Let's see. I think Aaron is the one who, together with Emmerich, came up with this, with the um, cycle of psalms. See, with with the change to English, there was made available to the Benedictine world at large a um, what did they call it? A thesaurus of psalms, and there were four four patterns that you could, you could take. And I think the story has it that Emmerich, Emmerich wasn't satisfied with just one. So between him and Aaron, they, they took a, something from here, something from here, and came up with this, you see. And that, so it's really unique for, for our place. And I think that's why it has stood the test of time, you know. Um, Let's see. So, and then when I got back from, from Europe, I did a sabbatical. And I came back and they said, we, we need some psalm tones. So I started composing psalm tones for the psalms. And then that's when they came up with the, uh, yeah, the green books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was home by then. And so... And what were you doing in uh, Europe during that time? Europe, I was studying organ first. Let's see. I spent five months in um, Rome attending a special. They called it a reciclage. It was kind of an updating for monks who weren't up on the changes in the liturgy and everything. And so... Two, two monks from here, Father Conrad and myself, uh, attended. 
I think all told, this program continued for a number of years, and maybe maybe as many as 10 monks, but we were there for five months. Conrad came home in December. I went to England and studied organ at Buckfast Abbey with a, with a monk there. And then from Buckfast, I went to Holland and studied with uh, this Dutch organist. And then I didn't get back home until like um, late July, early August. Yeah. And then I think that's when I started composing the psalm tones for the office, if my memory serves me correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Father Blaine, can you tell us about the building of the Abbey Church? Mm-hmm. Well, let's see. <clears throat> I think it, the, the building of the Abbey Church began, I believe, in 1955. And, of course, we were, the monks were, the young monks were involved in classes, um, either finishing their college degrees or taking theology courses. So our days were spent, much of the days were spent in classes. But... Um, as much time as we could spare, we would watch the construction, you know, as much as possible. So um, I know I spent many an afternoon outside watching the stone workers or inside the building. Um, I remember one incident, Father Pascal, who was kind of the ab- Abbey's, um, what would you call him? He knew something about construction, but um, he would go around make, making sure that workers were working and not suffering. And I happened upon him correcting a either, either a, a brick mason who had who was doing a brick wall, and they were the bricks were all out of line. The guy didn't see it, so Father Pascal called his attention to it, and the guy had to take oh at least a dozen bricks. Start over again. Anyway, that was his job. But yeah, it was really fascinating watch, watching the church go up. Yeah, yeah. And then once they got the superstructure up, then inside. And um, one of the most interesting parts was putting the ceiling in. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was that was the architect's wife's contribution in terms of. Not not so much the materials, but colors. Mm-hmm. She she's the one who who dictated what the colors should be. Yeah. And then and then Charlot's fresco came afterwards. Is that right? Because <clears throat> that was installed. He painted that after everything was pretty much finished. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, true. The beautiful thing about that is how he incorporates the colors from the ceiling exactly exactly into the fresco. Yeah. Um, yeah. After the fact, that's even more impressive, right? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, that was another, watching him work. Yeah, can you tell us about that? Well, again, when you found time, <clears throat> you'd go in and, uh, of course, we were told not to, not to disturb him. Don't ask any questions. Why are you doing such and such? Let him volunteer anything, you know. So um, it seems to me that I haven't... Dennis McCarthy, does that name mean, mean anything to you? He was an art teacher here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
I think Dennis was brought in, I don't know what for, but I think he, he was an observer at times. I don't, I don't think he made any suggestions on color or anything like that, but he was simply an interested spectator, mm -hmm. but with an artistic background. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Yeah, the ceiling was interesting. And of course, putting the pews in was a huge, huge job. Gosh, um, both pews out in the church, and then of course the choir stalls. I don't. Remember. I think the choir stalls came first, then the pews. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, the abbot's throne. I'm not sure, quite sure about about that either. That came later later on. Mm -hmm. Let's see. <clears throat> and then the organ, the organ. Um, interesting story there. <clears throat> Father Anselm studied in New York, and he had a very fine singing voice, and he joined a choir at an Episcopal church called St. Mary of the Virgin in New York City, very high Episcopal. And the organist and choir director there was a man by the name of Ernest White. So Ernest White and Father Anselm got to be good friends. And uh, Father Anselm mentioned that the monastery was thinking about building a new church. And Mr. White said right off that, well, if you, if you do, be sure and remember the Moeller Organ Company that I work for, okay? So the upshot was there was no there was no bidding or anything. This guy got the contract, and I think it worked out pretty well. Mm -hmm. um, so he came up with <clears throat> the specifications for this magnificent instrument of about 40, 40 ranks. But the problem was there wasn't enough money to pay for this. 40 rank. We'd have to settle for maybe 19 ranks. For, for the layman, can you explain what a rank is on an organ? Right, exactly. A rank is a set, set of pipes that matches every note on the keyboard. Okay, so <clears throat> Mr. White had this grand plan, but we couldn't afford it. But uh, So how much money was there available? Well, there was enough money for the ranks over, over the uh, sanctuary, those that are visible, okay? So there are two, two let's see, we've got the grate and the swell on the north side, and we've got the um, pedal and whatever on the south side, okay. Um, <clears throat> Price tag on that was somewhere in the neighborhood of, I'll say, $30,000, which is a lot of money in those days. You know, go back to 58. <clears throat> so they had to settle for that. You know how long it took us to finish the organ? If I recall, it was pretty recently completed, and you, right. you were instrumental in that. Yeah. 40 years. We waited 40 years. <laughs> but I think we ended up with a much better organ. Hmm. 
um, especially with those pipes on the West End. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we got this set of, um, tr- it's a trumpet set of pipes. And any, any organist who has played here, I, I would demonstrate, I said, listen, listen, wow, <laughs> listen, they just couldn't. Oftentimes, a, a trumpet stop like that will blow your head off, mm-hmm. and you don't want to hear it, you know. Mm-hmm. So they have to tone it down. And these men who, who put it in <clears throat> um, 40 years later um, knew what to do, and they knew the space. Right. One of the two men had been servicing the organ for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. Now, are there any other, um, you've known many of the artists in, of the monastery, and you, you are one of them, mm-hmm. uh, over the years. Are there any um, others that I should mention? Uh, that, yeah, that you remember would like to tell a story about? Or? Yeah, Father Eugene. Mm-hmm. You, Father Eugene Daner is the one who, see, when I was, when I was in Europe on my sabbatical, Father Eugene was appointed uh, guest master and tour director. So he ended up giving these tours. So, and, and what what would he tell people? Well, um, <clears throat> let me say, Mr. Charlot and I. <laughs> when Mr. Charlot and I, I don't know how he said it. <laughs> I wasn't there to hear it. But then, and and he said, my contribution being, if you look in the right hand corner, there's a patch of blue. <laughs> So he would own up to it, and people, people would get a laugh out of it, you know. Just and what was your contribution, Father? <laughs> Which figure did you paint? That's good. Yeah. Let, let me mention one more person. Um, oh, gosh. I hope my memory can pull this together. We've had some outstanding uh, organ soloists. But probably, um, darn it, what was his name? Ah, it was from Kansas City. He was the he was the keyboardist for the New York Philharmonic for 25 years, hmm. and he was from Kansas City. He was a a boy wonder of Wunderkind, and he was sent to Europe as a youngster, high school age. To study, and he studied with the most famous organists in France, Germany, and when he finished his studies, he came back <clears throat> and let's see, got a job with the New York Philharmonic. Um, Leonard Bernstein had heard about him. I think he was playing at some church. Yes, I just thought of it. His name, Bruce, Bruce Prince. Joseph. Hmm. Bruce Prince Joseph. <clears throat> That's a legitimate name. He, he belonged to some, some minor royal family over in Europe someplace. <clears throat> but uh, let's see, he was gone this one summer, and when he came back to, uh, to um, like, Let's see. Yeah. I think he helped design the organ for Lincoln Center 
Do you know Lincoln Center? Oh, yeah, we're Wynton Marcellus and the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra. Huh? Uh, one of my favorite groups is uh, Wynton Marcellus and the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra. Oh, okay. Yeah, so okay. It's, it's right there. Right, yeah, okay. Well, he helped design this magnificent organ for the New York Philharmonic. And then, of course, played it along with harpsichord and piano, whatever the piece is called for. So he was gone for the summer. This is Bruce Prince Joseph. And he came back, and he lived fairly close. And he said, I better go over and check out some things. And he went to the auditorium. The organ's gone. It's gone. There's nothing there, just a bare wall. So he got on the telephone, and he was able to track, uh, what's his name down? Who's the conductor? Leonard Bernstein. Yes, able to track Bernstein down. And he said, this is, uh, he said, what's up? And he said, well, I just went to the, to, the, to the hall, and the organ's gone. And he said, what happened? He said, I sold it to this place out in California, that big, church out there. Uh, is that the Crystal Cathedral? Yeah, the Crystal uh, Cathedral. Yeah. Sold it to them. He said, I quit. And that's when he left New York and moved back to Kansas City. And I met him soon after his arrival in Kansas City when I, I'd come home from a vacation and stopped at the switchboard. And the switchboard operator said, there's a small man who came by and asked if he, if he could play the organ. <clears throat> and they said, well, I guess so. So he went in and knew how to turn it on and all that. And so they told me that. And I was, uh, uh, you know, who is this person? I go in, and it's Bruce Prince Joseph. And he's sitting there, he's a small man, eyes closed, just playing the most gorgeous music. So that's, that was our first meeting. We got to be very good friends. An extraordinary uh, musician. Wow. Mm. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So, I, att I attended his funeral in Kansas City. Mm. When did he die? Oh, he's been dead probably 10 years ago. Yeah. Every important musician, organist in the Kansas City area was there for his mm. funeral. Yeah. Mm. He had, quite, he had quite, quite an influence. Hmm. <clears throat> well, we have a few closing questions okay. that, that, have, that are becoming standard for, for our, our program. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> so the first question is, um, can you tell us one thing that has surprised you the most about being a monk? One thing that surprised me... About monastic life. About monastic life. Hmm. Well, I guess maybe how much I've enjoyed it. Hmm. You know, I, I've, I've never found anything difficult or challenging. You know, things just seem to come so easily. <clears throat> I think that's part of my nature, though, maybe. You know, um, Gosh, and the great friendships you know that I that I developed with my classmates 
Albert, Emmerich, Herbert, mm. uh, but the rest of the, com rest of the community. And I don't seem to have any enemies. <laughs> you know, I, I haven't provoked them or made them angry with me. So anyway. Well, that's a good lead into the second question. Okay. Um, because I feel like he would approve of what you just said. What's your favorite line from the rule of St. Benedict? My favorite line from the rule of St. Benedict? Sure. Oh, boy. Um, Well, let nothing be preferred to the love of Christ or the love of God. Yeah. And then finally, um, in a hundred years, when some novice is listening to this, what is what is one thing you've learned that you want to share with future novices of St. Benedict's Abbey? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. <clears throat> um put it very succinctly, be giving and forgiving. Thanks, Father Blaine. Okay. And you, can you close us out in a final, final prayer here? Sure. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for this experience of, of um, looking over monasticism for the sake of uh, brothers for future generations. Um, inspire both of us to be good monks, to continue to do your will um, in helping others by giving good example and taking nothing for granted and asking your blessings on our work today, every day of our lives. This we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Prophet, de tesarosum, nova 